son of a bitch. What's up, everybody? Happy Memorial Day. I'll give you three guesses what I'm eating. (laughs) Just kidding. You don't need three. You get one guess. The answer is toast. You win. Everybody wins. (laughs) I promise all of you my diet consists of more than just toast, but it just so happens that every time I'm on air, I'm eating toast. Um, So today, we have quite a show. I'm actually going to start with a little bit of an update for you. Um, Which of the Democrats, as of this moment, are making the debates, because that's actually really interesting. Um, The DNC has certain rules where they said, okay, this is how you get into the debates. And I'll give you the list of the people who made it. And according to the different criteria, you have to have at least 65,000 individual donors, or you have to register 1% support in three polls or more. So... There's a lot of candidates, as you all know. You might be surprised as to some of the people who are getting into the debates. I apologize for eating, but I want to have a good show. And my brain's got to be firing on all cylinders. I feel like by now you're used to it. You're used to me chewing away. Usually it's after the break, though. It's not usually like right before the show. This is rare, though. I'll have food in my body for the first block of the show. Um, So outside of that, we also have, of course, the story that we haven't gotten to yet, which is the Julian Assange situation. There is a silver lining to that horrendous story that you don't want to miss. The Krasenstein brothers, anti-Trump grifters, have been banned from Twitter. We'll discuss why that is. The military budget has been massively increased, and not a single fucking person on TV has said, how are we going to pay for it? So we'll talk about that. And um, much more. Much more. Got a jam-packed show on Memorial Day for you. Hopefully a lot of you guys are off from work, and, you know, you said, hey, I'll listen to the uh, old-school blog talk radio-style show because I have time. Anyway, all right. Last bite of toast, even though that's only half of my toast. The sacrifices I make for you lovely people. As soon as I'm done eating this, as soon as I'm done swallowing, pause, (laughs) then we will jump into it. Seltzer, no seltzer today, guys. The seltzer boy is out of seltzer. Sad day. And And you know what's teasing me? There's an old bottle sitting next to me that's empty. That's just cruel. That's a cruel joke. Okay, here we go. So I wanted to give everybody a little update um, on the Democratic debates because they're rapidly approaching, and I believe the Democratic field is now a whopping 642 people. So only, I think, 20 make the debate stage, and they're doing it 
uh, two separate nights back-to-back. They've said that they want to avoid the kids' table debate, which, you know, is the debate where everybody's polling abysmally, and they still have a debate, but it's much lower rated. Um, They want to avoid that. So what they're going to do is, I think they say randomly put them together, the candidates, but now everybody's concerned that they're going to be – not randomly putting them together. They're gonna, the DNC is going to put them how they want to put them for their own nefarious purposes. And, of course, everybody's afraid Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden won't be on the same debate stage, which would be a bit of a disaster because they're the two frontrunners right now, and everybody kind of wants to see them go head-to-head. So do I trust the DNC? <laughs> no. <laughs> the word no is a massive understatement. But having said that, I do want to give you an update on uh, who at least has made the debate to this point. So the rules are you have to have uh, at least 65,000 individual donors, um, and you have to poll at at least 1% in at least three polls. So having said that, let's take a look at the list. Here's who made it. We have former Vice President Joe Biden, of course, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, um, Julian Castro somehow made it. I don't know how. Tulsi Gabbard made it. Kamala Harris made it. Jay Inslee made it. Again, I don't know how. Amy Cloudbootjar made it. Uh, Bet on my stork, a.k.a. Beto O'Rourke, made it. America's dad, Bernie Sanders, of course, made it. Elizabeth Warren made it. Author Marianne Williamson made it. I'm a little surprised by that one. Uh, Entrepreneur Andrew Yang. I'm not surprised by that because he's got a pretty strong online following. Um, now, only met the polling threshold. This is surprising. Montana Governor Steve Bullock made it from the polling threshold. Um, how? <laughs> People probably thought he was Sandra Bullock. And they, I don't know, I like her. I, she was in a bunch of good movies. Sure, I'd vote for Bullock. Um, former Representative John Delaney made it. Somehow he polled at 1%. Kirsten Gillibrand only made it through the polling threshold. She does not have 65,000 individual donors. Wowzers. Um, The breakfast cereal, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper made it through the polling threshold somehow. I'm guessing that's all, like, people over the age of 75 in Colorado. Representative Tim Ryan somehow made it through the polling threshold. And Eric Swalwell made it through the polling threshold. So these guys, I mean, let's be clear, they're polling at, like, probably literally 1% in three polls. I highly doubt that they're above that. Um, The people who only met the fundraising threshold are none. So there's nobody who um, made the fundraising threshold but didn't make the polling threshold. And then here you go. The, The epic losers, they met neither threshold. Senator Michael Bennett, who, um, I don't know if anybody knows who, if that dude is running. I don't think his family even knows that he's running. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, of course, he just announced, but still, he hasn't made it yet. Uh, Mike Ravel, who a lot of people online and a lot of lefties really like, but my concern has always been that he said from the beginning, I'm not trying to win. And i got to be honest with you guys, I really hate those gimmicky campaigns no matter who does it. Um, Larry Lessig did it the last time, and he was, like, all about getting money out of politics, but I kind of rolled my eyes when he did it last time as well. Um, Representative Seth Moulton didn't make it. (laughs) 
<laughs> not surprising, awkward smile man. And then um, a Florida mayor, Wayne Messam, didn't make it. So, listen, man, this is um, – some of them making it is actually really interesting to me. Marianne Williamson making it, Jay Inslee making it. I mean, Cory Booker has name recognition, but outside of that, it's like a little surprising he made it because who is genuinely for, for Cory Booker? Julian Castro making it. So I, I got to be honest, man, and this is certainly is conspiratorial on my part, but some of the people who made it, I think there's some accounting tricks going on. I really do. Um, I'm sure there are, like, pretty gaping loopholes to make it appear like you've had at least 65,000 individual donors. Um, and I don't, put, I don't put it past a lot of these characters, man. I really don't. A lot of them are just all about narcissism and self-aggrandizement and, and power, and they will cut whatever corners possible um, in order to make themselves appear viable. And, hey, you can call me a conspiracy theorist. You can uh, say I have no evidence to back it up. In this case, both of those things are absolutely true, so I'm not going to fight you on that. But I definitely get um, a, pretty, a pretty strong sensation that characters like Julian Castro, Jay Inslee, making it on their own, absolutely surprising. Steve Bullock, John Delaney, Eric Swalwell. I mean, these are people who've gotten less than no press coverage, and to the extent that anything they've said is covered, everybody rolls their eyes and says, is that all you got? So we'll see what happens with the debates. I'm excited. You know, for me, the debates, whether they be primary debates or general election debates, that's like my Super Bowl. I eat it up. I love it. I love every second of it. And you guys, those of you who followed the show for a long time, know that around debate time, I release a whole bunch of segments on the debates. Other shows like the Young Turks and um, other political shows, they like to do the live coverage of the debates, and then they'll give you their breakdown, which is good, and people like that as well. But I like to watch the debates, go back and re-watch them, clip out very specific segments that caught my eye, and then do the breakdown of those specific, uh, you know, back and forths. So I, I like to really get into the nitty-gritty and the nooks and crannies of, uh, of the debate, the debates, and I'm looking forward to that. But... I don't know. You tell me. You think all those people genuinely made it in? I mean, I don't want to go full polling truther either, but I'm sure they had very, very lax standards to accommodate the candidates who are in good standing with the DNC. You know, to poll at 1% in, in three polls, what exactly are the standards for those polls? Could it be some random online poll conducted by... John Delaney's campaign that went specifically to his own Facebook followers or something. And he goes, oh, look at that. <laughs> I got over 1% when I polled my own Facebook audience. I mean, th that's the kind of stuff that I would, I would look out for. Because, again, I don't trust the DNC at all. Um, but either way, I'm still excited about the debates moving forward. And now you know, at least as of this moment, who made it and who didn't make it. Now, they do reserve the right, and here's some more sleazy nonsense, but they do reserve the right to keep changing that line. 
So as more people make it and they only have 20 spots, they're going to keep raising, you know, the individual donor threshold, and they're probably going to keep changing the polling threshold. So make sure that candidates who you support, so obviously the majority of my audience, you know, we're Bernie Sanders supporters, but there's a solid number of my audience that also likes Tulsi Gabbard, solid uh, number of my audience that also likes Andrew Yang. For Tulsi and Andrew Yang, make sure if you want them on the debate stage that you keep them comfortably above the thresholds. So when it comes to individual donors, if you haven't donated to, to Tulsi's campaign or Andrew Yang's campaign and you definitely want to hear their voice in the debate, well, then I would recommend donating to them to get up that individual donor uh, threshold, which is massively important because, again, I wouldn't put it past the DNC at the last moment to say, oh, sorry, too many qualified, now we're changing the line, and oh, would you look at that, the weird criteria that we changed it to makes it so that Andrew Yang or Tulsi Gabbard is eliminated, even though they obviously have much bigger followings than, like, Jay Inslee. But nonetheless, here you go, interesting news. Okay, next. Julian Assange, here we go. So the Trump administration is coming after Julian Assange, and shockingly, everybody is seemingly getting this right and now defending him. And when I say everybody, I do mean everybody. Um, the only exceptions are the hardcore MAGA people who have zero principles, and they will defend Daddy Trump no matter what. And these are the same people who loved it when Trump said, I love WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks is tremendous. He said that on the campaign trail when they were um, helping him because of the nature of their leaks. Now that the Trump administration did a 180 and they're going after him, all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, fuck him. So zero principles, but the rank partisanship of that far-right base was always going to override any sort of principles, and that's crystal clear. But take a look at this from the New York Times. Julian Assange's indictment aims at the heart of the First Amendment. The Trump administration seeks to use the Espionage Act to redefine what journalists can and cannot publish. On Thursday, the Justice Department charged Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, with multiple counts of violating the 1917 Espionage Act for his role in publishing tens of thousands of classified military and diplomatic documents in 2010. The indictment supersedes an indictment unsealed in April on narrow grounds of attempting to help an Army private surreptitiously break into a government computer to steal classified and sensitive documents. The new indictment goes much further. It is a mark, marked, marked ex escalation in the effort to prosecute Mr. Assange, one that could have a chilling effect on American journalism as it, is be, as it has been practiced for generations. It is aimed straight at the heart of the First Amendment. The new charges focus on receiving and publishing classified material from a government source. That is something journalists do all the time. They did it with the Pentagon Papers and in countless other cases where the public benefited from learning what was going on behind closed doors, even though the sources may have acted illegally. This is what the First Amendment is designed to protect, the ability of publishers to provide the public with the truth. President Trump has waged a relentless campaign 
against the news media, going so far as to repeatedly label it the enemy of the people. But with this indictment, his administration moved well beyond dangerous insults to strike at the very foundation of the free press in the United States. The Espionage Act has been used against those uh, the Espionage Act has been used against those who disclose classified information only rarely for good reason. It has never been used against a journalist. So just to give you a sense of how everybody had the light bulb moment on this, even Rachel Maddow came out, and she despises Julian Assange. She genuinely thinks he's like a covert Russian agent or something. Um, but even she came out and was like, Mm, can't have it. Can't have it for one very simple reason. This is pure, sheer, unadulterated, rank authoritarianism. That's what this is. When the government mucks up bogus charges to go after a journalist for doing journalism, that's what we call the total death of freedom. That's what we call a, an actual war on the free press and on the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. So, listen, this segment that I'm doing right now, I mean, I am begging, I am pleading the, you know, edgy right-wing commentators who have defined themselves on this issue of free speech. I'm begging these people, please, do the right thing. Have some principles. Actually put aside your partisan nonsense and, and take a stand here because we can use a unified voice and, have, and it is crucially important that we present a unified front on this issue to really expose how terrible and extreme this really is. Because for all the, the whining and the yelping and the bitching and the moaning about, oh, free speech is under attack on college campuses. Mm, we hate social justice warriors. They're censorious. Well, okay. I can sympathize with you on principle because I don't think any you know, speaker should be deplatformed or shamed out of giving their take, even if it's an odious take. But here we have an actual threat to the First Amendment. So this isn't just the principle of freedom of speech and a free press. This is the legality of it. This is like the government actually persecuting people for political speech. Now, understand what Julian Assange exposed. Again, like him or hate him, irrelevant, totally irrelevant. The thing that they're going after him for, it's related to the Chelsea Manning leaks. Now, what happened? Chelsea Manning gave the information to Julian Assange that our military, during the Iraq war, and this was all on video, this is all a matter of record at this point, because of the bravery of Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange for releasing it, our military murdered innocent people, I forget, I think it was in a helicopter, and they had no reason to believe that these people were, um, you know, terrorists or insurgents or whatever word they were using, and what happened was they killed these innocent people, come to find out they were journalists, 
Then they circled around and killed the first responders. And the entire time, they were laughing about it. And they were being willy-nilly about it, like it was nothing. And so Chelsea Manning has this thing called a conscience, where she looked at that and said, oh, well, I was told that we were fighting for freedom, and we were fighting for liberty and justice, and that we're the world police, and we're only trying to do what's right by everybody around the world. And now here I see our military murdering innocent people and laughing about it, and then escaping all consequence. So she said, I got, the American people have to know this. In the same way that back uh, when the Pentagon Papers situation was unfolding, we learned that, you know, our military was using Agent Orange chemical weapons, napalm, on innocent villages. And we, we were killing innocent people, and again, totally callous about it. Don't care at all. No accountability, no justice. So at the time when the Pentagon Papers were leaked, everybody said, oh, my God, you know, this is treasonous. You're, during a time of war, you're, you know, taking the side of the enemy by exposing the wrongdoings of our government. And they would call them a traitor, Daniel Ellsberg. And only in time did people realize, oh, whoa, whoa, what the fuck were we thinking? It's such a no-brainer now that there's now movies celebrating the reaction of the press to run with that story, run with that information. But Julian Assange did the exact same thing, the functional equivalent of releasing the Pentagon Papers of the modern era. The idea that we have on video the U.S. military murdering civilians, laughing about it, and killing the first responders who were obviously there for medical reasons, and... They, view no pro- they see no problem with it, and there was no accountability and no justice. Of course we should learn that. If you care about a free press, they get to report the truth and expose the powerful, and then we get to judge, hey, look at what our government is doing with our money and in our name. And so the idea is, if the press is adversarial and doing their job, then we learn about what the government is doing, and we can then take action to try to fix our government and change our system. This is what's called a democracy. And a democracy is only possible when you have a free flow of information, when you have an educated population. When you basically try to ban the press from doing what their job is, there is no more freedom. There is no more First Amendment. So understand, it's not, it's not just WikiLeaks, too, that ran with this. They were the uh, people who originally came out with this. But all the fucking newspapers ran with it, too. So by this logic and setting this precedent, the government can just say whenever there's a story that leaks that they don't like, they could just go after the reporters, go after the journalists, and say, hey, you broke the law. We think, um, you know, you releasing this information, which is top secret, national security sensitive information, Well, we think you're working with the enemy. We think, you know, we're going to prosecute you under the Espionage Act because you're aiding and abetting the enemy or whatever goofy nonsense they come up with to protect their own ass. And it's just crystal clear that what's happening here is rank authoritarianism where the government is covering their own ass. So they can get away with doing whatever the fuck they want to do, and there's nobody to hold them to account. So understand that that's what's happening here. We've seen threats to the First Amendment before. Obama had a war on whistleblowers. Um, we, we still see it all around the country. There's 
over a dozen states, maybe over 20 states, that have anti-BDS laws on the books where people can't get a government contract if they personally want to boycott Israel. So that is 100% a violation of the First Amendment. And I think three courts now have ruled as such. So we've seen crackdowns before. But this is just an unprecedented giant step in a, in a sheer authoritarian direction. And just understand, this is so extreme, the Obama administration, who again, had a war on whistleblowers, but the Obama administration, they looked at this and they were like, well, we simply cannot go after Julian Assange because if we go after Julian Assange, then yes, that is the end of a free press in America. That's the end of a free press. There is no more free press because everybody printed that information. It was newsworthy information. And what you're doing is you're criminalizing journalism. This is where we are. Now, Donald Trump is a, a soulless, vapid, vacuous man-child with no principles. And when he was on the campaign trail and he, you know, said, I love WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks is tremendous. You know, that was when they were releasing information that was exposing Hillary Clinton. But when the information exposes the deep state, when the information exposes our illegal hideous, grotesque wars, then all of a sudden he capitulates and he says, yeah, whatever. Go after him in the most vicious, extreme way possible and end freedom of the press. And remember, Donald Trump is a guy who in many of his speeches now, we've covered it on the show. He did it at a CPAC speech and he's done it at rallies. He talks about, we believe in freedom of speech. That's what we believe in. It's tremendous. It's unbelievable, I have to tell you. You love to see it, folks. You love to see free speech. They just set up a website where if you think there's censorship on social media, you, get, you can go there and tell the story. They just set that up. They're so concerned about freedom, and they're so concerned about the First Amendment and free speech, they want to, like, closely monitor what's happening on social media. But understand, guys, it was always just a partisan narrative. They never really meant it in terms of principles. They just meant it in terms of, can I cry and play the victim and, and cherry-pick cases of the right being censored or deplatformed? Great. I'm only going to talk about those instances, and I'm not going to talk about, uh, you know, overt, clear, blatant, extreme, next-level threats to the First Amendment that I'm perpetuating. So he's doing it. Remember, this is a guy who said repeatedly, we got to open up the libel laws to hold the media accountable. That's what Donald Trump said. Donald Trump sued Bill Maher over a joke. He, he sued The Onion over a, a satire article that was written about him. This guy does not believe in free speech or a free press at all. And now he's made that abundantly clear. So if you believe in free speech, you cannot back Donald Trump. You cannot back this administration. Because this is the most extreme crackdown on free speech and a free press in modern history. Full stop. That's what it is. There's no weaseling your way out of that. There's no tiptoeing around it. There's no pretending that isn't the case. This would be the death of the First Amendment. The government gets to say, I don't like that story you ran, Mr. Journalist, so I'm now going to accuse you of being a fucking spy and aiding the enemy because you exposed our wrongdoing. It's obvious that's how this is going to be used from now on. There's no question about it. It's obvious. 
oh, you released something we didn't want you to release because it shows how immoral, amoral, grotesque we are in the U.S. government. You just exposed us. I'm going to say that that threatens national security based on no evidence I can present to you. Hey, it threatens national security, and so we're going to go after you and treat you like the enemy. The only silver lining is everybody on the left, everybody um, in the center, honest libertarians, we, everybody gets this. There's only like maybe a 20 to 25% block of the country that's just the hardcore Trump fanatics, the far-right rank partisans. They're the only people in the country that don't get it. And they really showed their true colors here. Okay. So the anti-Trump brothers, the Krasensteins, have been permanently banned from Twitter. Here's what The Hill says. Twitter on Thursday permanently banned anti-Trump brothers Brian and Ed Krasenstein, stating the brothers had violated the site's terms of service by operating multiple fake accounts and purchasing account interactions. The Trump antagonists had large followings and were considered resistance figures to President Trump on the prominent social media platform. Ed Krasenstein had amassed more than 900,000 followers before the ban, while Brian Krasenstein had nearly 700,000 followers. The ban was first reported in the Daily Beast, quote, the Twitter rules apply to everyone, a Twitter spokesperson uh, said in a statement provided to The Hill. Operating multiple fake accounts and purchasing account interactions are strictly prohibited. Engaging in these behaviors will result in permanent suspension from the service. So um, they swear up and down that it's not true, that Twitter's just wrong, this is not what we were doing. Um, they, they prod Twitter and say, hey, release your evidence. They say they did have other accounts, but the whole point of the other accounts was to monitor threats against them. Do I believe the Krasensteins? No, <laughs> I don't. Um, but having said that, do I think this is a, a punishment that fits the crime? No. Now, this also happened with Jacob Wall, too. Jacob Wall is like a literal con artist and fraudster, and on the Trump side, pro-Trump side. And um, I think they got him on a similar thing of like, I don't know if it was buying fake followers or operating multiple accounts. And I mean, this dude is literally like trying to frame, he tried to frame Robert Mueller or something, accusing him of sexual assault. He tried to hashtag me too, Robert Mueller. I don't know. It, he's, he's like, a, he's just a solid, vapid, soulless, vapid grifter on the right pro, who's pro-Trump and he's been permanently banned so let me explain to you what I think is happening here. There have been a, a couple of high-profile examples of right-wingers who've been banned. Alex Jones, like I said, Jacob Wool, Laura Loomer is another one who's like kind of, I, I think, white nationalisty, super far-right, really awkward. Milo, of course, has been banned. Um, and I think what Twitter wanted to do 
is give themselves an out, give themselves some wiggle room. And so they were looking for somebody, some people who were somewhat high profile on the left, nominally on the left, and the Krasensteins were the perfect example of people who they can make an example out of so that they can, you know, whenever the right complains about bias, they can show the carcass of the brothers Krasenstein and go, you said we only go after the right. Look, we took off the Krasensteins. So what are you talking about? We're even-handed. We're fair. Whether it's the left or the right, in my opinion, no, you shouldn't. It, the Basically, the Twitter death penalty for operating multiple fake accounts and purchasing account interactions, that doesn't make you, like, criminal, and that doesn't make you um, unsalvageable. It just makes you fucking really creepy weirdo douches. <laughs> Like, operating fake accounts, again, they say it was uh, to monitor threats. I don't believe them. Um, it was probably to, to blow themselves and tweet themselves and say, oh, my God, you guys are so wonderful and so hot. Don't, like, all women love you? I'm sure that they were doing stuff like that. But, again, that doesn't make you, like, irredeemable or a bad person or you should be permanently gone from social media. That just makes you, like, really sleazy and narcissistic and self-aggrandizing. And I don't think a, a fair punishment for that is permanent Twitter ban. But again, I think that this is more of uh, Twitter being able to show the right what happened with the Krasen scenes to go, ah, 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 you can't criticize us and say we only go after the right. We also go after the left, too. Look at what we do with the Krasen scenes. Listen, my general rule is, and you guys all know this, lean as heavily as you can on the side of free speech. Can there be some sort of suspension for violating the rules and operating fake accounts and shit like that and purchasing account interactions? Sure. They, hey, you broke the rules. We're going to give you a timeout. You're going to be gone for, I don't know, you pick it, a week, and then we'll let you back. Um, but a permanent suspension, it's, it's too punitive. It really is. And just for the record, I hate the Krasensteins. I do. I really do. I think they're like the epitome of how not to resist. Because any and all arguments against Donald Trump, they will use. So it's like, they're the type of peop types of people who, when Trump announces, like, hey, we're pulling out of Afghanistan, they're like, how could you, sir? The Afghanis need us. Or when Trump announces we're done with TPP, they're like, I think it's a good thing. Like, no matter what he says, they say the opposite. They don't ground their, you know, their resistance in morality or logic or reason or a coherent version of leftism or anything like that. So I don't like them, but that's irrelevant. I still think this goes too far. And, uh, you know, I think that if there are people on the right who are caught doing similar things, again, same kind of punishment, maybe a week suspension, and then you let them back on. But I think we, we are going too, too much down the path of more banning from social media, more of a crackdown. And I simply don't agree with it. I think as a general rule, you want to lean as heavily as you can on the side of letting people say whatever they want and do what they want. doesn't mean you have no rules. It just means you have few rules, and you can enforce those intelligent rules in an objective and reasonable way. And, um, yeah, I think, like I said, I think there's more of a political angle to this than people like to admit. They want to be able to show the right. See, we went after the left, too. 
but you guys have been going after the left. The idea that you haven't gone after the left, fucking um, Peter Douche had his account removed. This was the parody of Peter Dow. Peter Dow used to be this hardcore Hillary Clinton supporter, like centrist parody. And then actually, kind of surprisingly, he's become a hell of a lot more reasonable recently. But either way, Peter Douche was banned when he had his parody account. There's been countless lefties who were accused of being Russian bots, and of course they weren't, but they were taken down. And also, let's be clear, you think that even other presidential campaigns, like you think that the, the D-tier presidential can, uh, candidates don't have fake followers and operate fake accounts to retweet their shit and uh, don't purchase account interactions. I guarantee you any kind of investigation into the election and the different candidates on the left and the right I would, I would honestly guess a majority of the candidates running in the in presidential race and at the congressional level and at the Senate level, they're definitely engaging in these kinds of activities, 100%. We know Mitt Romney did it. We know he bought fake Twitter followers. We know Newt Gingrich did it too. So should they be permanently banned? Again, that's the same kind of rationale you're giving for cracking down the Krasenstein. So should – I mean, what if we find out, and it's very possible – Pete Buttigieg, hey, he bought fake followers early on, or Kamala Harris did it early on. What, what are you going to do then? Are you going to ban fucking Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg permanently? No, you're not going to do that. And you're not going to do it if a Republican does it either. If, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Mike Pence did it. You're going to ban the vice president? No. Trump all the time tweet, violates the terms of service. You don't ban him. So, see, that's the point, is that it's not, you're not objective with these rules, and also the rules suck in the first place. So there's just so many problems with Twitter. What they do is they always respond to the public pressure, as opposed to, like, taking a principled stand and arguing for it, whatever that principled stand may be. They just, you know, kowtow to the crowd, even if the crowd is wrong or saying something silly or demanding something happen. So it's just, it's really silly, and they're not going to be objective on this front, and even though I hate the Krasen scenes, I don't think a permanent ban is, is the right approach here. I think that's uh, actually really silly. Okay, next. So the national nightmare of horrendously misplaced priorities is not only continuing, but it's getting worse right in front of our eyes. Here's the intercept. They say, the Senate Armed Services Committee advanced a major defense spending bill in a closed session this week, agreeing to the Trump administration's $750 billion request and raising U.S. defense spending to levels not seen since the height of the Iraq war. If it passes the House and, and Senate, the bill would authorize the second major defense spending increase in two years. Last year, despite initial objections to President Donald Trump's proposed budget hikes, the House and Senate went far beyond 
what the administration had asked for, approving an almost $80 billion increase over its spending in fiscal year 2018 and bringing the total defense spending to $716 billion. The Senate version of this year's National Defense Authorization Act would raise military and other defense spending to levels not seen since 2009 when more than 180,000 troops were deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan, according to data from the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. The Pentagon forecasts that in years to come, its budget requests will keep rising to levels not seen since World War II. Okay. Now, they go on to say the following. The Senate bill even exceeds what the Trump administration requested. The bill authorizes $10 billion for 94 F-35 fighters. That's 16 more than the Pentagon even asked for. So this is now the second year that Trump asks for a massive increase in military spending, and then Congress goes, uh, uh, no, you know what? We don't agree with you. We want to give you even more than the massive increase that you're asking for. They also say such massive hikes in military spending are meant to underwrite a major shift in foreign policy under the Trump administration from a primary focus on counterterrorism in the Middle East and Africa to a Cold War-like posture of major power competition with Russia and China. To support that change, the U.S. is heavily investing uh, in major weapon systems like the F-35 and modernizing its nuclear weapon system while pouring money into a space force, cybersecurity, and artificial intelligence. They also want to request a 3 to 5% increase in spending every year, which would mean that we're going to eclipse $800 billion for the military by 2025. Okay, I don't even know where to begin with how pathetic and disgusting and wrong this all is. So even the idea, oh, we're going to upgrade our nuclear, uh, our nuclear weapons technology, that's a terrible idea. You want to know why? The way the system works now, it's a closed system. So it's actually run on floppy disks. So, you know, that was the technology back at the time when the original Cold War was happening. And so it was run on floppy disks. Now, you might scoff at that and go, well, that's so outdated, it's laughable. But here's the thing. It's unhackable. You can't hack it. Any kind of update to a modern-type system is hackable. So on that alone, no, no, don't do it. Also, really? So we're going to go full bore on this, down the road of this new Cold War, and we're going to be like, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, they're saying it. They're saying it. They actually admitted it. They said, yeah, no, we're not, oh, please, Al-Qaeda and ISIS and terrorists. That's so five years ago. Here's what we're about. We are all about uh, competing against Russia and China. Okay, that's weird. I got to fix this. Hold on. Okay, that should be better. <laughs> so they say, we're all about competing against Russia and China now, and 
That's going to be our main focus. This thing is not going to fucking stop beeping. Jesus Christ. Okay, I can't afford to not have this fucking thing going. So I have to find a way to get it to work. Jesus fucking Christ, man. God damn it. We all know what happened the last time I didn't have this going. All right. Just so you know, if the fucking thing un starts beeping again, I will break something. And I will also be miserable. I will just be a miserable human being. So this is what they're saying. They're saying China and Russia are now our main focus in terms of foreign policy which also means, by the way, more expensive weapons, more expensive upgrades, because we need, you know, major artillery, new fighter jets, and all that stuff, if your real competition is going to be other world powers that you feel threatened by, and you think that they're going to be the next ascendant world power, so you want to keep them in check, so you want to go nuts, and spend as much as possible on the military while neglecting everything else, neglecting other areas. Now, the thing that is beyond frustrating about this, have you heard a single person in mainstream media bring this up and then not only bring this up, but have those hand-wringing segments where they say, how are we going to pay for this? Are you kidding me? We already spend more than the next 10 biggest nations combined on our military, and now you want to spend even more on the military? How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to afford it? This is not something we can afford. Every time the conversation is free college or debt cancellation for college or Medicare for all, the first thing they do is say, how are you going to pay for it? 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 When it comes to gigantic military increases, by the way, the increase last year could have paid for free college and then some, just the increase in the military budget from last year, they got nothing to say. They got nothing to say at all. Because you know what it is? They grandfather it in. They say, well, hold on now. We're talking about, in their minds, this is what they think. We're talking about the defense, the defense of our wonderful nation. Oh, the defense. The defense. So they think it's, it's a moral imperative. We have to do it. If we're concerned about how we're going to pay for it, we'll worry about that later. We'll take care of that later. We'll fix that later. Right now, it's a moral imperative. I mean, we got to, you know, be the world police. 
and we got to defend the homeland. So go ahead, spend, 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 and we'll worry about the consequences later. You would think that 30 to 45,000 people dying every year because they don't have basic health care, that I don't know, maybe that would be something where it's a moral imperative. Hey, we'll take care of it. We'll figure out how to, how to pay for it later. You would think that that would be their thinking when it comes to, I don't know, the literal lives of their fellow citizens. Nope. You would think that the student loan debt that's holding back an entire fucking generation from experiencing the American dream, that they would say, listen, it's a moral imperative. We've got to wipe that debt slate clean, man. This entire generation only has $11,000 in average net worth. Are you fucking kidding me? Or median net worth? I don't remember which one. But uh, are, we have to tackle this problem. Are you kidding? You would think climate change. Listen, I don't care how much a Green New Deal would cost because we got to fix this problem. If we don't fix this problem, it's all for naught. If we, if we cannot fix this problem, there is, no, there is no maybe later. That's not an option. That's not a thing. But nobody in mainstream media says it about a Green New Deal to fight climate change. Nobody says it about college debt. Nobody says it about Medicare for all. Nobody says it about a living wage. Hey, listen, man. We got to make the minimum wage a living wage. We got people. These are wage slaves. They work full time. They don't make enough money to survive. Are we fucking crazy? We have to fix that system. They don't say it about our infrastructure crumbling. Oh my God, we're supposed to be the world's sole superpower. We got bridges fucking collapsing on a regular basis in this country. We have no clean water in Flint, Michigan. Are you kidding me? We got to fix this. We have to fix it. We have to fix it now. I don't care how much it costs. Fix it. Fix our infrastructure. Do an infrastructure deal right now through emergency powers. How about that? Nope. They would all scream, Oh, how are we going to pay for that, good sir? How will we pay for the important necessary thing that's morally, uh, that's a moral absolute that we have to address? How we pay for it? Never that, but only for the military. Yeah. Offensively bomb more countries? Sure. I don't care how you pay for it. Go ahead and do it. Start a new Cold War and go down that path 100 miles an hour? Sure, why not? And remember, the Democrats were accusing Trump of being a Putin puppet for years. Now it's clear that he's not a Putin puppet. Are they, are they resisting this and saying, hey man, listen, we're really escalating with Russia and China here. Maybe we want to move away from the brink and not do another Cold War? Are they resisting from the left and saying, whoa, 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 reel it in there, big guy. Reel it in. No. They love this shit. Even Elizabeth Warren voted for the increase in the military budget last year. Bernie didn't vote for it. Elizabeth Warren voted for it. So they don't blink. They don't bat an eyelash. Sure, we all agree giant, disgusting, bloated military budget that furthers our imperialistic goals and continues to starve this country of the funds it desperately needs. Sure, why not? Even the left is on board with that. And this is beyond frustrating to me because this is something that should really be a scandal. It is a scandal that we massively increase military spending every single year we already spend more than the next 10 biggest nations combined. We got a shadow war going on in Africa. We're currently bombing eight different countries. We have about 900 military bases around the world. 
and nobody cares. Nobody bats an eyelash. Nobody says anything. Mainstream media is totally silent on it. And God forbid you question it, they call you unpatriotic or whatever goofy bullshit. It's time to change the conversation. It's time to shift the Overton window. It's time to give people the harsh, politically incorrect truths that they haven't heard in a long time. And that truth is, we're an empire. We're not the world police. We're a world bully trying to jack natural resources and maintain geopolitical dominance. And we're wasting all of our, all of our money on endless wars. That's the harsh truth. And people here are struggling and dying as a result of that. Okay. All right, let me take a break. When we come back, Trump is rolling back anti-discrimination protections for trans people. We will talk about that. Trump is also coddling Saudi Arabia. You don't want to miss that story. And um, later on, I got Mark Levin and Cornell West and Andrew Yang, and we got a lot of stuff, man. We're still nowhere near done on this lovely Memorial Day. Stay right there. We will be right back.
bitch. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the goat show. I don't know what that means. All right, Donald Trump comes after trans people. Let's talk about that. So President Trump is rolling back anti-discrimination protections for trans people. Here's what Time Magazine says. On Wednesday, the Department of Housing and Urban Development announced it intends to reverse the requirement that operators of homeless shelters receiving housing department funding have to, quote, provide equal access to programs, benefits, services, and accommodations in accordance with an individual's gender identity. The policy change would allow men's and women's shelters to segregate transgender people where allowed by state and local laws. It would also allow shelters to consider a person's sex when determining whether an individual will be admitted to the shelter. On Friday, the Department of Health and Human Services published a proposal that would reverse an Obama-era rule that defined discrimination, quote, on the basis of sex to include gender identity. The draft rule would amend regulations that identify sexual orientation or gender identity as prohibited basis for discrimination uh, for programs funded or administered by the department. So... In layman's terms, what this means is they've rolled back anti-discrimination protections for trans people, and they want it to be perfectly legal to discriminate on the basis of gender identity. So um, you can be rejected. So let's say there's a, a homeless shelter, and it's a very religious homeless shelter. That's not unheard of. In fact, it's relatively common to have religious shelters. And they have a disagreement with, you know, uh, the LGBTQ community. They're not in favor of that community. Well, you show up and you're a trans person, it would be legal for them to reject you. They know we don't serve your kind here, so go away. That's what they want to make legal. That's what they're making legal. And listen, this is substantively, materially wrong. This is saying that the foundation of the Civil Rights Act should not apply on gender grounds. And, you know, uh, what they're saying is it's fundamentally different to discriminate against trans people, and there is no comparison to discrimination based on religion, to discrimination based on um, skin color, And that is something I fundamentally reject and I totally disagree with. And you know who else used to disagree with this? Donald Trump. Remember this uh, lovely moment? I remember people trying to tell me that this shows that he's going to be pro-LGBTQ. I said, listen, it's policy is what matters. I don't give a fuck how how he virtue signals to the world about, you know, who's on his side or whatever or whose side he's on. I care about substantively what are you doing. And he picked Mike Pence as VP. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think Mike Pence is going to, you know, let this administration go in a, in a much more libertarian direction on social issues where, you know, you're in favor of live and let live? No, no way. So Trump 
back when he was campaigning, told the Today Show that Caitlyn Jenner could use any bathroom that she wanted in Trump Tower. He also said, he tweeted it, that he would be better for uh, LGBTQ Americans than Hillary Clinton. I mean, there's such a, a separation between the shit he says and then the shit he does. Though to be fair, like Hillary Clinton, he was well known for saying everything at the same time. <laughs> he was well known for taking two contradictory positions on every issue. And then people would just read into him and project onto him what they want him to believe. And that's what happened on this issue. So now, on top of the trans military ban, which I, I mean, I think that's, if somebody can meet the requirements, the physical requirements to being in the military, of course they should be allowed in. The idea you do a blanket ban of trans people, that's dumb, and that is quite literally the definition of bigoted. Um, you're saying this one group, no, this group is not fit for that, and I don't care about the individual merits. I'm not going to judge you on the individual merits. I'm going to judge you as a group, as you're part of a group, and the group qualities all uh, are your qualities and vice versa. So, you know, we're going to have to draw a hard line here. Pretty ridiculous. Um, well, now, again, they're doing that same approach when it comes to um, anti-discrimination protections. Get rid of the anti-discrimination protections, and then you hide behind um, religious liberty and personal choice. That's oftentimes their dodge. They say, no, no, this isn't anti-trans. This is pro-personal choice and religious liberty. So if this guy happens to run a homeless shelter and he's a bigot towards homeless people, uh, towards a trans people, who are you to say that he shouldn't be able to reject a trans homeless person? Have, we've had these arguments going back to the civil rights days, and yet we're having them again now. Um, the idea that they shouldn't be a protected class is pretty silly, considering they do face a pretty substantial amount of discrimination. And it's, I would imagine it's hard being a trans person. It's just, you know, getting through regular life without people maybe giving you a hard time. I'm sure there are many people who are kind and, and are open-minded and tolerant, but I'm sure there's plenty of people, more old-school folks, who just are like, fuck off. And Trump wants to embolden the fuck off people, and that's now crystal clear. Okay. Saudi Arabia. So President Trump is continuing to be cucked by the terror state of Saudi Arabia. Defying Congress, Trump sets $8 billion plus in weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. Wow. U.S. President Donald Trump declaring a national emergency because of tensions with Iran swept aside objections from Congress on Friday to complete the sale of over $8 billion worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Jordan. 
he's quite literally just bypassing congressional oversight and congressional approval and saying, yeah, I'll just declare an emergency and give weapons directly to Saudi Arabia. Could you imagine, for even a second, buying into the argument that it is imperative and it is an emergency and we just have to turn over massive amounts of weaponry to the Saudi terror state? It's, it's an emergency. We, we can't even wait to give the terror state billions of dollars in weapons. We can't wait for it. We, we got to go now. I got to bypass it. I got to go now. I got to go now. That, you know that government that puts people to death for sorcery and for witchcraft and apostasy and they're murdering moderate Sunni scholars? We just covered that on the last show. And they're putting to death women's rights activists who fought for the right to drive. You know that government? It is just absolutely imperative that we arm them right this second. You know that government that's doing a fucking genocide in Yemen? And I'm not, that is the word that should be used. That's why I'm using it. Yeah, that government that's doing a genocide in Yemen, we, we got to get them weapons. We got to do it. I can't even wait for it. They need it now. They need it now. By the way, you're telling me that there isn't also a personal level to this when it comes to Donald Trump? You're telling me that the money that Saudi Arabia has been funneling to him through his, his uh, hotel in D.C., you're telling me that doesn't impact his decision here? I mean, when they funnel him hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, in a variety of ways, not just at his D.C. hotel, that is a violation of the Emoluments Clause, and you bet your ass that I'm sure that that impacts his decision-making here. Totally. Trump used to say that Saudi Arabia did 9-11. Now he's invoking emergency powers to give them more weapons. Uh, hey, by that logic, I guess Donald Trump is pro-9-11. You said Saudi Arabia did 9-11. Now you're rushing to give weapons to the people who did 9-11. Two plus two is four, dog, right? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? I didn't make you do it. You did it. Jesus. So the Trump administration uh, informed congressional committees that it's going to do 22 military sales to Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Jordan. Um, And the sale includes Raytheon Precision Guided Munitions, Boeing Co. F-15 aircrafts, um, Javelin anti-tank missiles, which are made by Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, and, you know, many other defense contractors are also involved. They literally go on to talk about how the industry is excited and they're booming and he's great for that industry. Um, It's time for everybody who hasn't admitted it yet to admit it. Donald Trump has become the ultimate status quo establishment president. That's what he is. He ran on being anti-establishment. Now he, he is the establishment. He took some steroids and injected it into the establishment. That's what Donald Trump did. That's his entire legacy. I will do whatever the establishment wants. And like a little fucking pathetic dog, he just wants that pat on the head and he still hasn't gotten it. He does everything they want and they still don't give him that little pat on the head. We like you, Donnie. They don't like him, even though he still gives them everything. They love him on policy. They hate him for all the other stuff, the ancillary stuff, the mean tweets and whatnot, because he's not presidential. But all he wants is the establishment approval. I said it before. I'll say it again. I don't think anybody has ever psychologically analyzed Donald Trump better than I did when I said 
He wants to be Hillary Clinton. He go for all his ripping her and going after her and being aggressive against her, it's because he's jealous of the fact that the establishment loves her. Oh, why can't I get the approval from the elites on the cocktail circuit in Washington D.C. and New York City? Oh, I want that. Well, he's given them everything they want. As he pretends to be for the little guy. <laughs> Hilarious. I know. I'm sure there are coal miners in West Virginia and factory workers in Kentucky who are just like, Oh, Donald, please use your emergency powers to give Saudi Arabia more weapons. We must counter Iran. I wake up in the morning and I go, Oh, the Grand Ayatollah is on my mind. He's taking food off my plate. Goddamn Grand Ayatollah. Goddamn Hassan Rouhani. What are the chances that your average American even knows who Hassan Rouhani is? If they've ever heard that name. What are the chances? Very low. But this is what they're doing. Remember, we are the aggressor. We pulled out of the Iran deal. They continued following it. We slapped sanctions back on them. They still continued following the Iran deal, the, the nuclear peace agreement. We escalate, escalate, escalate. Then finally they go, okay, you just forced our oil exports to zero. You got it. Now we're enriching again. And now we're going to try and go, oh, how could you? Fuck you mean, how could you? It's, so, it's dishonest and it's disingenuous, and that's what I can't stand about the way our government functions. So this is probably my favorite story of the day because of how incredibly, incredibly delusional it is. Trump campaign, this is from Reuters, views health care as a 2020 campaign weapon. U.S. President Donald Trump's campaign believes he can turn Republicans' biggest liability from last year's congressional elections, the debate about the future of health care in America, into a winning issue for his reelection. Dude, what? <laughs> what? That is absolutely stunning. He's going to try to run on health care. He wants to actually make it like a winning issue for Republicans. That is hilarious. Um, okay, Democratic strategists are some of the dumbest people in the country because they've been wrong about virtually everything. I don't even think they could fuck this one up. I mean, it's possible they do, but there's just such a giant Democratic advantage on health care that it's laughable. So let me just, just to brush you up on what, what has happened on this front. Trump backed a proposal in Congress, and he's engaged in, um, his administration has done lawsuits on this front, that would have rolled back protections for pre-existing conditions. Now, he has gone around saying that he wants to, oh, no, we, we love protecting pre-existing conditions. You love to see it, folks. It's tremendous, I have to tell you. So he backed a proposal that would repeal it while he pretends like he's for it. And here's the thing. The Democrats caught on to that, and they've called it out. 
They've been like, you keep saying you want to protect it. Okay, drop the lawsuit your administration is waging. Don't back the legislation that would repeal the protections. You want to you wanna support it? Here's an idea. Fucking support it. Nobody cares what you say. Who gives a fuck what you say? It's what you do. It's what you do, the substance, the policy that matters. And even the shitty Democrats who have zero political acumen, they're like, um, you're actually not in support of it, so shut the fuck up. He proposed reductions to Medicare and Medicaid. You can't say you're, you know, running on health care when you're destroying health care. What do you think happens as a result of cutting Medicare and Medicaid? What happens, Donnie? What do you think happens? It's not that everybody gets, uh, you know, a puppy and everybody sees rainbows. No. It's you kick people off of their health care. That's what happens. Trump's time in office so far, millions of people, 7 million people. I used to say 3 million. Wrong. It's 7 million. 7 million people have lost health insurance during Trump's time in office. Why? Because he's waged a fucking war on Obamacare. Now, listen, I'm no Obamacare fan. It's a shitty middle ground approach. But guess what? It's better than nothing. It's certainly better than what the Republicans want to do. So when you take away even the mild health care reform that we had in this country, what do you think is going to happen? We know 7 million people lost their health insurance. Trump's health care plan, because remember, he proposed a health care plan. Everybody was calling it Trump care. It polled at under 20%. When you're asked about health care, Don, all you say is, you know, I think we should get rid of the lines around the states. I think that that would be tremendous if we got rid of the lines around the states. And then when you're pressed on it, you don't know what to say. And you go right back to, yeah, the lines around the states, they're really not good. I think we should get rid of the lines and then it would be wonderful. You'd have competition. Competition is tremendous. It's unbelievable. That's not a plan. It's not a plan to say, get rid of the lines around states and competition. That's not a plan. And by the way, folks, you don't know, the whole real reason why they support getting rid of the lines around the states is because they want the health insurance companies to be able to set up shop in Delaware, which is the lowest tax state for the corporations, and they all set up shop there, and then they get to pay fewer taxes. That's the whole idea of it. That's the whole idea. The whole idea is get rid of the lines around the states, so all the insurance companies will go to the same state where they pay the least amount of taxes, and they get to run out the back door with even more money. That's the whole thing behind it. They pretend like, oh, no, that'll increase competition and stuff, bro, and that'll make it so, like, you know, the consumer's better off. Utter nonsense. Complete and utter nonsense. That's the, that's the fake dodge reason. That's the bullshit facade reason they give. The real reason is they get to save more money in taxes. Um, so, okay, you want to run on this? By all means. By all means, dude. By all means. Now, it is possible that the Democrats are so stupid that they blow it, and he runs on it and still somehow wins that. But you got to remember, Bernie Sanders is still a very powerful, strong voice in the Democratic Party, running in the Democratic primary, and all the other Democrats, at least if they want to have a shot of winning, they have to follow suit with Bernie. So they're all arguing, even if it's tepidly, for Medicare for all. Most of them are. Some of them do the dodge of public options. Some of them say, you know, like fucking Beto's nonsense, uh, Medicare for America, or whatever nonsense he came up with. Um, but you bet your ass that the rhetoric coming from the Democrats on health care could destroy Trump 10 out of 10 times. So it's, it's actually kind of funny to me. I mean, not for nothing, this has been a, a Republican trick for a long time. They accused John Kerry, for example, in the 2004 campaign 
of they used his military service against him. They tried to say he was like a, a wimp or something, and he didn't fucking fight when he should have fought. I don't remember what it was. Something with a swift boat. Whatever. I don't recall. But it was generally accepted that Kerry was a war hero, and they turned it into, no, he's not a hero. He's, like, evil, and he's a wimp or something. Meanwhile, George W. Bush, who was doing cocaine off of strippers' asses in Texas somewhere, and he was AWOL, um, he got to skate free. It's because they turned their weakness into their strength. Trump wants to do that playbook for healthcare, but I don't think he's smart enough to pull it off. I really don't. I really don't. And especially if he's up against somebody who knows how to counter-argue, if he's up against somebody like Bernie, oh, please, Bernie will destroy you. He will eat you alive on the issue of health care, dude. Really? You're going to have nowhere to go, man. You think Bernie doesn't know all the things I just laid out for you, that 7 million people lost their health care under Trump, that his last health care proposal polled under 20%, that he wants to cut Medicare and Medicaid, um, that he actually doesn't support protections for pre-existing conditions? Bernie knows all this shit. And he will eat you alive. So please, by all means, Don, go right ahead. Run on healthcare. Let me know how that works out for you. I forgot, I forgot to make another point. Let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back to that slide. Okay. Here are the arguments Trump's going to make. Venezuela, I'm not kidding, they'll bring that up. Um, Socialism bad. This is what he's going to say. Bernie and the Democrats want to make this country Venezuela. Very sad, very sad. Uh, Socialism is bad. Big government. Nobody wants the government getting involved in their health care decisions. And here's the other one they're going to say. They want to ban choice. They want to get rid of your of your doctors, folks. They want to get rid of your choice in healthcare. Now, all of that is like fucking just fucking like hitting a, a gnat off of your hand. If that's to respond to that is beyond easy. You ready? Here's what you do. Uh, no, we're totally in favor of choice. You can get supplemental private health insurance if you want it. But the default is everybody's covered full stop, and you save money, and it's better health outcomes, and you're not even going to want private insurance because you're going to get amazing insurance through our Medicare for All system. That's it. When he comes Venezuela, they want to make us Venezuela. Wrong. Have you ever heard of Denmark, Sweden, Norway? Please, Don, argue against their systems. I'll wait. I don't hear anything. Why don't I hear anything? What happened? Where'd you go? Where'd you go, bro? That's how you respond to that. Um, So the arguments that he's going to use 
are the old, tired arguments, and Bernie will be prepared to deal with them. Um, and most of the Democrats, I think, will be prepared to deal with them. But in the rare instance that somebody gets through the primary <laughs> that doesn't know how to deal with them, that's actually really sad and embarrassing. There's a great tweet from Internet Hippo where he was saying, like, he was doing a mock debate between Biden and Trump, and he puts, like, okay, Trump says, Biden, you want to give people health care, don't you? And Biden's like, no, Don, I don't. And Trump's like, yes, you do. You want to give people health care. And Biden's like, no, I will make a pledge now. I will not, not a single person will get health care under my administration. There are some idiots who will take debate and somehow hand a win to Trump on health care. But the chances of that are very slim because there's such a built-in advantage for, on health care for Democrats. And the polls already reflect that. Now, imagine how good it will be if it's Trump versus, like, Bernie on health care. I mean, it would be just absolute obliteration. All right, Mark Levin. Let's make fun of this jackass. So conservative radio host Mark Levin went on Fox and Friends to promote his new book called Unfreedom of the Press. Um, And he basically serves as a giant Trump sycophant and apologist for authoritarianism. Take a look. You know, and as a reporter, I have to stand up for this uh, a little bit, and that is when the president launches attacks on the enemy of the people is the press, isn't that going too far? It's so passive. When you look at history, it's almost ridiculous. you got Jim Acosta, who's covering the White House, who creates drama, and then all of a sudden that's news. That's what we call fake news, the president, or pseudo-news. No, it's not. John Adams, 1798, put in place the Sedition Act. He locked up journalists. He was a founding father. He shut down newspapers. Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, gave authority to the Secretary of War, shut down 300 newspapers, locked up journalists. Woodrow Wilson, the great progressive, uh, put in a new Sedition Act, 1918, locked up journalists, locked up political opponents, had the most aggressive censorship campaign in American history. Franklin Roosevelt used the IRS to go after the owner of the Philadelphia Inquirer that didn't support the New Deal. His wife, Eleanor, went after Gannett, who was a conservative. Barack Obama used the FBI. Of course, he doesn't know anything ever, but they used the FBI to go after this network, to go after an investigative reporter at the New York Times, and 20 AP reporters. So we have the President of the United States from time to time, rightly so, because he knows what the media have become. The Democrat Party media, that's what it is criticizes them and says, you know what, you're the enemy of the people. Oh, my God, it's like Stalin. Really? What exactly has this president done against the First Amendment and the press other than increase their ratings? What exactly has he done? Has he shut anybody down? Has he imprisoned anybody? Has the FBI been unleashed against anybody like Barack Obama? This is a big lie. That's one of the things I address in the book. He made this argument as if, like, The same week we didn't learn about the Trump administration going after Julian Assange. By the way, 
make no mistake about it. He, this segment with Mark Levin happened after the news of Julian Assange. So we learned that there is a quite literal crackdown on the First Amendment and freedom of the press. And he goes out there and says, name one thing that Donald Trump has done. Who has a more nasally voice, me or Ted Cruz? Me. I'm Ted Cruz. Me. You're a sad, sad joke, Mark. See, this is the thing. You don't even have a, a minimal level of... I don't even know the right word for it, man. You're just a sad sycophant. That's what you are. <laughs> you don't have any objectivity. You have no principles. You, with a smile on your face, sell out and hitch your wagon to the fad of the day on the right. And that's the thing that's always bothered me like about guys like Hannity. Because at least with somebody like Ron Paul, you understand that even though you might not agree with him on many issues, most issues, you understand that he, he actually is coming from a place of principle. Whereas with somebody like Hannity or somebody like Mark Levin, they will quite literally twist facts to suit their narrative. And they will play defense for their team and play offense for their team. So it's not about, you know, holding yourself to an ideal, staying true to a belief. It's more about the person than the principal. And that's just pathetic. That's pathetic. That's like high school thinking that you never broke out of because you're a sad little bitch. Um, and, again, the, the same week... The president goes after Julian Assange. Why, by the way? Why are they going after Julian Assange? Very simply, he got from Chelsea Manning information about how our military was killing civilians, then killing the first responders, then laughing about it. And he released this, exposing the military-industrial complex and exposing war crimes and bringing transparency to the assholes in power who try to avoid it, and who try to avoid accountability at all costs. So what Chelsea Manning did was brave, what Julian Assange did was brave, and now the wrath of hell is being brought upon him by evil men who want their secrecy and want to be able to get away with no transparency, no accountability, and no justice, no consequences whatsoever. And Mark Levin, Mr. Yeah, I'm going to speak truth to power over here. What do you do? You fall right in line. You fall right in line. You pretend like Trump's done nothing wrong in terms of a free press. By the way, hilarious. If Trump had his way, he obviously would implement, um, you know, restrictions. He says he would. He said it repeatedly. He says we should open up the libel law so you can go after the media for writing bad stories. He sued Bill Maher over a joke. He sued The Onion over a satire article. Why are you pretending? Like, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here at all. This president's actually really tame on this issue. Why, why, why? Why would you do it? Why would you do it when it's so easy to debunk your utter garbage and your nonsense argument? The same week that they're trying to fucking put a hatchet in the back of the First Amendment in a free press. You go out there and pretend like he's not like that. And by the way, notice his argument made no sense. Mark Levin hates Democrats thoroughly, hates him through and through, but in order to defend Trump, what does he say? 
Well, FDR cracked down on a free press, and so did uh, Barack Obama with his war on whistleblowers. And here's a bunch of other examples. There was there was the Sedition Act in the past. See, they went after the press. So I don't get it. Are you at, are you saying that that's a good thing? Because that's what it sounds like you're saying. It sounds like you're saying, oh, well, other other presidents cracked down on the press. So what's the big deal? Trump does it. But you hate everything Democrats do. But in order to defend Trump, you're going to say, well. Hey, they did it, so can't he do it? But I thought you hated what Democrats do. I thought you hated authoritarianism, as you say you do. You know Mark Levin calls himself a constitutional conservative? <laughs> constitutional conservative. You're doing, uh, you know, apologetics for an administration trying to kill the First Amendment. You ain't no damn constitutional conservative. You're a partisan bitch boy. That's what you are. It's unbelievable, dude. He was, it sounded like he was saying, hey, other presidents did authoritarian stuff. They had, did the Sedition Act. They locked up journalists. Isn't that awesome? So Trump just calling the, you know, the press fake news. There's nothing wrong with that. By the way, he's right. There is nothing wrong with that. I never melted down over him calling him fake news. Sometimes I think it's hilarious when he does stuff like that. But there's a difference between substantively criticizing the press, which is totally fine. Usually he's not right on the substance, but I'm still fine with calling them fake news. It's, that doesn't bother me. The problem is what he's doing right now with Julian Assange. That's the problem. The problem is when you use the law to crack down on journalists who expose the powerful. That's the problem. And you're too much of a partisan loser with your blinders on to recognize it. So his book is all about, think, imagine in the Trump era writing a book about how, oh, my God, the press is so bad. By the way, are they bad? Yes, but they're bad not for the reasons he says, because he says they're bad because they're so leftist. Oh, please. They, just this week, there's a dozen articles that are unfairly smearing Bernie Sanders. Spare me with your, oh, the leftist press era. They're bad because they push stuff like the Iraq War. They're bad because... They almost always do the buildup for war with incorrect information. They're bad because they defend the status quo without even realizing they're defending the status quo. They're bad because they're corporate and pro-establishment. That's why they're bad, Mark. Not because, like, you think, oh, my God, they're so leftist and that's bad. No, you're wrong. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Um, Your book is pure trash, and just know what you are. You're a sad partisan loser who has no objectivity left in your body. You don't have any objectivity at all. Because if you did, you would have had to admit, well, this is unfortunate timing for me to do my book tour. Trump just cracked down on Julian Assange, who, of course, exposed the powerful and was doing the job of a journalist. And he wants to put him in prison using the fucking Espionage Act. Oh, please. So this is beyond pathetic. It's disgusting. And um, Mark Levin is nothing but a sad, sad propagandist. And if you're convinced by him, I feel really bad for you.
So the great Dr. Cornell West went on Fox News, and um, they tried to hit him with a got you moment. Laura Ingram did, but it backfired. Take a look. Let's talk about corporate power. Let's talk about Wall Street. Let's talk about militarism. And let's talk about how, in the broader scheme of things, this is a knack to the real problems that need to be fixed. But am I going to give credit for this? Yeah, why wouldn't I? It's not hard. It's not hard. When you're an honest actor, you can deal with it because you're just like, okay, I see what you're trying to do here. Here, I'll give you what you want. That, that was a good policy. But you're missing the forest through the trees. Here's why you're wrong on the broader point, and then you explain it. You can't beat that. By the way, that entire interview, I recommend you go watch it. Candace Owens is a talking point machine. All she has is like, oh, my God, the Democrats are so terrible. They want to breed dependency among the black community. And, like, you know, welfare policies destroyed the black community. And Donald Trump is a straight shooter and tells it like it is. And Maxine Waters has a low IQ. Like, she is such a rank partisan actor who has taken a page out of Ben Shapiro's book of like, 
talk fast and confidently and hope that that makes people go, oh, yeah, she must know what she's talking about. But really, her audience, just like all of Talking Points USA, as the group she was a part of, I'm not sure if she's with them anymore, Charlie Kirk's group, but, like, they all have boomers following them as if they act like they have this giant young following. It's mostly boomers. who It's Republicans who are older who just want to hear people affirm their narrative, and that's what they get from people like Candace Owens. So she's a talking point machine, and, of course, uh, Dr. Cornell West is being honest and, and straightforward the entire time. And you'll notice, even when he hits them with a waterfall of truth and, and you know, honesty, what do they do? She goes right back into the, into the partisan tap dance. So she goes, from this clip, right after this little clip you saw here, she goes, anyway, I want to go back to this thing about Obama. Obama's supposed to be the great racial healer in this country, and it turns out he was the racial divider in this country. What, why is everything to you guys... Democrat versus Republican, Democrat versus Republican, Democrat versus Republican. And here's the thing. So you gave Trump credit for the First Step Act, Laura Ingram. Other Fox hosts gave Trump credit for the First Step Act. Go back and look at their reaction to when Obama, his his second term, towards the end of his second term, you know what he started doing? Pardoning and commuting sentences for nonviolent drug offenders. You go back and you watch Fox News coverage of those instances. And you tell me what you see. Very simply put, they were outraged about, about Obama pardoning nonviolent drug offenders. Now, the First Step Act, criminal justice reform, the whole idea is, hey, let's not be as punitive towards nonviolent drug offenders. And all of a sudden, they love it. And all of a sudden, they're in favor of it. See, that's the thing that, that irks me to no fucking end, man, is that they, like, Laura Ingram doesn't actually believe anything. Sean Hannity doesn't actually believe anything. That's why there's that famous video with him talking about the NSA and the Patriot Act. Under Bush, the NSA and the Patriot Act was, they're protecting the homeland. How dare you not be in favor of these increased police measures? Under Obama, oh my God, this exact same program I was just sucking off is actually really terrible and it violates your Fourth Amendment protection from unreasonable search and seizure. He doesn't actually believe anything. He has no core. He has no real policy beliefs. He's just playing, just playing a partisan game. I'm going to play, play for Team Republican, and that's the end of it. That's as deep as my thinking goes. Laura Ingram, same shit. I'm playing for Team Trump, so it was in the first step act awesome, but oh yeah, it wasn't a terrible when Obama released nonviolent drug offenders and was doing the same thing that's at the core of the first step act. It, she also says, by the way, oh, this didn't get coverage didn't get coverage. I've seen countless uh, segments on the First Step Act, and pretty much everybody on the left told the truth. They're like, yeah, this is good, but it is just a first step. So, like, straw lefty. Beat that straw lefty all day long, as if, like, nobody, why won't they give him credit for this? Of course I'll give Trump credit when he does good things. The problem is he almost never does them. (laughs) Very, very rarely. Less than 5% of the time will he do it. Now, again, I'll still give him credit when he does it. I've done it before. But I'm, I'm not going to be like you, where you are clearly just a rank partisan actor playing for Team Trump, playing for Team Republican, and that's all you got. It's tired. It's boring. It's stale. It's banal. It's not remotely interesting. It's not remotely edgy. It's not remotely brave. It's really pathetic. It's really pathetic. 
And, of course, Dr. Cornell West did a great job there because he's always going to tell the truth, and there are times he's told the truth and he pissed off everybody, which is what makes him great because he's not telling anybody what they want to hear. He's not just playing partisan politics. He's only interested in truth and justice, and that's why he's wonderful, and that's why he ran circles around your punk ass, and I'm sure he'll do it again. Okay, let me take a final break when we come back. I have an annoying idiocracy-like story for everybody. You're not going to want to miss that. And then I have Andrew Yang and um, an interesting story on Russiagate that you're not going to want to miss. We're almost totally done with that, hopefully. But I do got to give you this one more nugget because it's that interesting. But we have that and much more. Stay right there. We will be right back.
right, bitches. We are back. Here we go. So I have a pretty annoying idiocracy-like story here for everybody. A high school in Littletown, Pennsylvania, has apologized after the yearbook club blurred out two teenagers' pro-Trump apparel in a yearbook photo. Quote, the mistake was not noticed during the editorial uh, preview process prior to print. We apologize on behalf of the yearbook club. It is not the policy or practice of the district to improperly censor speech, Littletown High School said in a statement to local Fox News affiliate WPMT. The apology comes after 16-year-old Jeremy Gebhardt said he and his friend had their Make America Great Again hats blurred out of a yearbook photo taken during the school's spirit week. Quote, I just think he wants to help our country, and I think he is. Gebhardt said of wearing the hat to support President Trump. They, like, blurred our hats out, Gebhardt's mother. Uh, Gebhardt's mother, Lorraine, told reporters she was, quote, infuriated and felt her son's First Amendment rights were ignored. Okay, so let's get a couple things straight here. Do I believe, do I believe the school that, oh, it was a mistake during the editorial preview process that they blurred these out? No, it wasn't a mistake. It was obviously on purpose. That's not a mistake. You don't like, whoops. It's not like, whoops, I slipped and fell. No, it was you blurred out a MAGA hat. That was, there was intent to blur it out. To say there was no intent, that's ridiculous. It, it requires proactive action to do it. So, it, I mean, th- again, that's a little silly. That's really silly, actually. The idea that it it was an accident or it was a mistake? No, it was obviously on purpose. So I don't buy like the, their attempt to weasel out of it by saying like, "Whoopsies, are bad." They should have just been honest about it and said, "Hey, we were wrong, but we did it, and we're gonna undo it or whatever." I don't know. They they could have said something like that. Um, but every aspect of the story actually pisses me off. So. It pisses me off that people honestly want to wear some political shit in their yearbook photo. And and I love the reasoning the kid gave. I just think he wants to help our country, and I think he is. As if this 16-year-old kid who makes an argument like that knows what the fuck he's talking about and what he's supporting. Like, I love Trump because he's trying to help our country, and I, I think he is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear the hat. Have you considered you don't know what the fuck you're talking about? And you have no idea what's actually going on in the country? Have you considered that? That, you know, you're just playing for a team and, I don't know, probably your family is super pro-Trump. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to be like my mama and daddy. And you wear a hat. And you're like, yeah, I'm pro-Trump. Like, so there's no humility on that front. It's like you think with a shitty argument like that, you still somehow think like, me, bro, I'm just expressing my well-thought-out beliefs. Oh, please, you don't know dick. So it's obnoxious that, like, who does that? Who does that? I'm going to wear my fucking Trump hat to my yearbook photo. I mean, seriously stop and think about the kind of person it takes to do something like that. That kind of person, it just, oh, it just irks me so much. I love Bernie Sanders. I would never 
have worn a Bernie Sanders hat or some shit to a fucking yearbook photo shoot. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, now putting that aside. Why is it that people who are nominally on the left, like this school, whoever in the school made the actual decision to blur it out, because you know somebody did, I don't buy it, that it was a mistake, but whoever made that decision, it's like the the pro-Trump clowns always set the most obvious traps ever, like the saddest traps ever that you could spot from a mile away. And then these dumbass, out-of-touch lefties, like, walk into the trap so casually. It was the most obvious trap ever. They were basically screaming, censor me, and if you censor me, then I become a victim. And the fucking dumbasses are like, is that an obvious trap? Well, it probably is. But I'll try to walk into it anyway, and maybe it'll work out good for us. Oh, I've been caught in the trap. No shit you were caught in the trap. You had one job. The one job is you don't censor the fucking dumbass pro-Trump kids, because the second you censor them, you make them a victim, and then they get to run around and go, Oh, my freedom is me! Oh, my freedom is me! Oh, my freedom is me! I'm so persecuted. Now let's ban all the Muslims. So it's like, it's not that hard, man. It's not that hard. If you're on the left, it's not that hard to walk into their dumbass, obvious traps. You had one job. The one job is just don't censor them. Don't fucking blur out their shitty hat. They have shitty hats. And yes, they're really not bright. I read the argument he made. I think you're doing good for the country. The fuck does that mean? <laughs> so they're silly people. Acknowledge that they're silly people, but don't. The second you take any sort of action, like blurring out their hat, all of a sudden you somehow become dumber and you somehow become even more petty. How are you this stupid? Like they still, at this late date, these idiots still haven't figured it out. You have one job. By the way, just so you know, I want this to be clear. They all love it when they're censored. I'm serious. You think guys like Milo or Rave Dubin or Ben Shapiro, you think they don't know? Like, oh, the second that there's protesters against me, the second they try to censor me or deplatform me, oh, money, baby. Because then it becomes a news story. And then everybody's got to talk about it. And then the common sense position is just let them speak. So it helps them. It helps them. Of course it helps them. They love being censored. They fucking bask in it all day long. Because then they become the victim. And then it becomes a bigger story. And they get their name out there more. And that's the same shit that happens here. You had one job. Don't censor the dumbass fucking pro-Trump kids. That's it. That's all you had to do. And you did it. You did it. Because you're silly and you're also dumb. And you don't realize, like... Because what's their thought process? It's not deep. There's... That's bad. He's a bad man. And his hat... That hat represents bad things. He's a bigot, and he's a racist, and he's bad, and you're bad for wearing the hat, and it's offensive, and I'm offended. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to blur the hat. I'm going to do it. I'm going to blur it. I'm going to blur it. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That's what I am. Okay, we get it. We get it. Your fucking virtue signaling meter is breaking. I got it. I understand. I, I see you. I see you. But it's like, that's what, that's what I mean, the idiocracy story. I hate everybody in this story. I hate everybody in this story. I hate the person wearing the fucking pro-Trump hat. 
You're not a hero. You're not a genius. You have no clue what the fuck you're talking about. You're silly. But I hate the fucking censorious person on the left, too. Oh, blur it. It is so offensive. I don't give a fuck what your sensibilities are, man. You're a yearbook photo editor. Fuck off. (laughs) Oh, God damn it. Oh, Oh, I hate everything. Okay, I think I've made that abundantly clear in this segment. Okay. Um, Andrew Yangton. So Andrew Yang spoke to Laura Ingram on Fox News, and um, he calmly exposed how vapid she is. She's going to argue against UBI without really even making an argument. She just says, I have this feeling it's bad. Um, And she ultimately ends up talking so much that she contradicts herself. Watch. I want to read you a statement, hold on, Andrew, that you made just a few weeks ago to Newsweek. You said... When I've talked to Trump voters around the country, they've said that they're disappointed in what they've gotten from the administration. They feel like a lot of it was bluster and hot air. But a a recent Goldman Sachs study found that wage growth has picked up sharply. Bottom 50% of wage earners are making more. Consumer confidence is up. Got other metrics up at 71% have since the beginning of of polling on confidence in the economy. People think they're going to get things going to get better. So uh, this idea that nothing's working with Trump, I just think that's an overstatement at, at, at best. Well, I've been around the country now, and a lot of people don't feel like they're connected to a lot of the statistics that are coming out. And if you remember Donald Trump, the candidate, in 2015, he said that a lot of these headline unemployment numbers were misleading and they don't report what's happening on the ground. And then now that he's in the White House, he's singing a very different tune. Uh, The experience I'm having when I talk to voters around the country is that 78% of them are living paycheck to paycheck, 57% can't afford an unexpected $500 bill. I Uh, think you're right about that. There's a lot of people who still are are vulnerable. They're still feeling insecure. But this is... This has been going on for, what, 20 years? They've had flatlining income for 18 years preceding Trump. Finally, it's going up. But back to leadership, though, Andrew, because I think you're someone, I don't maybe agree with you, but you're someone who thinks like you want to solve things. You want, you want to solve problems, and I respect that. Forbes says the top five cities in the United States with the largest homeless populations are the following. It's not surprising. So New York, L.A., Seattle, San Diego, San Jose. Now, four of five of these cities are run by Democrats. So how is liberal governance working out uh, for these cities? My my hometown of Hartford, outside of Hartford, Connecticut, but Hartford, Connecticut, uh, it's it's having real problems, had problems for a long time, always liberal leadership in Hartford. Detroit, Chicago has big challenges. It's not like these are raging conservative districts of the country, Andrew. Yeah, that's one reason why we need to build a trickle-up economy that works for everyone by putting economic resources directly into people's hands. Because we're in the midst of this winner-take-all economy. You can certainly see it in our urban areas where there are rich and poor 
uh, living next to each other in very different circumstances. And unfortunately, the dynamics of our economy are just going to become even more extremely polarized as technology starts transforming industries like retail, transportation, uh, food service, and on and on. So we need to wake up to the fact that we're in the midst of the greatest economic transformation in our country's history and start moving in a direction of just putting economic resources directly into our hands because we're the only well, that's our hand out. That's the problem. Right? Did anyone give you a handout to start uh, work at Manhattan Prep? You started that, right? Was that your baby? Well, well that, that was my baby, and we've all had a uh, hand in, in yeah, but you did really well. You were really, I mean, you're a really successful entrepreneur, and well, you you work really hard, and everyone that. gets help, but did anyone hand you a thousand bucks to get you, I mean... Well, a lot of people, including entrepreneurs, have something uh, in the way... You're a capitalist, in other words. Yeah, you're a successful capitalist, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you, you've, you've become a huge success because of the market and because of your hard work. And because of your work ethic, all of that together, your family, I imagine, not everybody has a family who supports them, but that all, that combined to really work for you. Well, and that's the great thing about putting these economic resources into our hands. It'll give more people an opportunity to start businesses. It would create yeah. two million new jobs in the economy. It would reward hard work. Because right now, many Americans might have a great idea, but they're stuck with their heads down and they're not able to, to build around them and build a, a new business. I, I maintain this is the best time in my lifetime to be an American. If you want to work and you want a job, it's it's only it's all the sky is the limit right now. I think. Okay, I don't know if you caught the contradiction. You have to honestly watch the clip a couple times before you catch it. But at the beginning, she talks about how, um, you know. It, Listen, this economy, bro, you're talking to people who are not doing well. I mean, listen, this is, this is a great economy, all right? People are doing great. And then Andrew Yang drops some facts on her ass, and he's like, hey, listen, 78% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. A preposterously high number of Americans, high percentage of Americans, can't afford a $500 emergency. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? The reality is the way we measure the economy is totally off. The idea that you just look at the unemployment rate or you just look at the official unemployment rate nonetheless, which is total bullshit, or you look at uh, the stock market or GDP growth, it's like those are like the worst economic indicators for how everybody's doing. So he says that, and then what does she do? She's in a corner. She's like, no, you know, I mean, you're right. You're right. So things aren't great, but to be fair, they haven't been great for like a long time. It's not just Trump's fault. He's like, yeah, that's true. But, okay, that's it. Checkmate. He won the argument. You're, things are great. They're wonderful. He's like, actually, no, they're not. She's like, no, you're right. They're not, they're not that great. <laughs> and then by the end, she comes full circle again. And that's the contradiction. She comes back and she's like, you know, I think that in this economy, if you're not doing it, 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 you know, you can do whatever you want to do in this economy. If you're not making it, that's on you. Were you not just here for like three minutes ago when you agreed to the opposite point and Andrew proves you wrong? Where were you for the conversation you were just having? Because he just said 78% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. That's what he just said. And you were just like, that's okay, right? So <laughs> so <laughs> she goes from things are great, okay, things are bad, to seriously, though, things are great, right? And then notice, what I love about Yang in this interview is he just keeps saying the same thing. <laughs> She'll give some bullshit, and then he's like, yeah, anyway, so UBI is great, and let me explain why. <laughs> And then she'll say something else, and he's like, right, which is why UBI is great. And then she's like, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Okay. 
So, but notice, guys, and here's the thing. For the pro-Trump people, they're now in an unwinnable situation. Why do I say that? It's very simple. Donald Trump ran as, uh, I'm going to, the forgotten man will never be forgotten again. I'm going to help out the average Joe and Jane in the middle of the country who are hard workers. And, you know, that's, that's who I'm all about. Make America great again. Fight the outsourcing. Work for the little guy. And then now, you know, he's in office. All of his policies are helping the elite. That's not a question. That's a fact. All of his deregulation of Wall Street out the wazoo, tax cuts that overwhelmingly go to the top 1% in corporations, just all of it, policy for the rich after policy for the rich. So now what do you do? you got to run for re-election. So do you hit, hit him with the uh, – I'm for the little guy, even though I wasn't, but I'm for the little guy again. But hold on, you were just in office for four years. You didn't help the little guy? And that's why there's now the debate going on. Trump has even said he doesn't know what he's going to go with. Make America great again, again, for the second run, for the second term, for the election uh, season, or keep America great again. And what you see is that cognitive dissonance with, with all the pro-Trump hosts. Because half the time they're like, yeah, the working class. That's We're for the working class, and we're for helping them out, yeah. That's half the time. And then the other half the time it's like, well, you know, if you're not making it in this economy, it's on you, and you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and the economy's great, and if you're not doing well, it's not the fault of Trump or the government or our policies. It's on you. Which is it? Do you want to help the little guy? Do you want to help the, the average Joe and Jane? Do you want to look out for them, and are they getting shafted, or are things just great, and if they're not doing well, it's on them? And Laura Ingram, is, she has that cognitive dissonance now. That's what she has. She doesn't know how to deal with it. She's got to pick one. She doesn't know which one to pick or why or how. Really sad. But that's what you're going to see. They don't, they don't know what to do. Should we argue the same thing, pretend like we're for the working class, or should we say the economy's already great, and if you're not doing great, it's on you? Um, and the final thing I want to say real quick, because one of those points really pissed me off. Listen, ultimately, Laura Ingram has one point that she always comes back to. That point is Trump good, Republicans good, Democrats bad. That's all she's got. <laughs> She'll, she'll recycle that 930,000 ways, but that's all she has on her show. That's it. That's, that's it. That's all she's got. So what does she do? She cites for Andrew Yang, hey, Andrew, here are some cities. They're run by Democrats, and they have the highest homelessness population. How's that Democratic leadership going? Wow, Laura, you just logicked him to death. <laughs> okay, that's not an argument. Republican states are the poorest. So in other words, the Democratic states are more wealthy. The Republican states are the poorest. Is that it? Is that the end of the conversation? Because that's what Laura Ingram is trying to do at the city level. Like, oh, yeah, the Democratic cities are are pretty poor. So? (laughs) Again, these aren't arguments. This is is partisan got-you games. What What any serious person has to do is they have to dig into... The macroeconomic trends, the microeconomic trends, the exact policies that lead to an increase in homelessness. So here's an idea. You do know that if homelessness um, is a problem, there is a way to fix it, right? Which is give the homeless homes. Now, is that a policy Laura Ingram supports? No. <laughs> no, she does not. She would argue against that till the cows come home. But that just shows how like disingenuous this whole argument is, as if she cares about the homeless. She doesn't care about the homeless. 
She found one weird cherry-picked fact where she could try to blame homelessness on Democrats, and so she went with it. Uh, more homeless are in the city. Well, you know, it could maybe be because cities have a larger population, so they're by definition more likely to have more of every kind of person, including homeless per- people. That could be one. No, it's the, the Democrats. It's got to be the Democrats. Okay, then how do you respond to the fact that the poorest states are Republican states? Does that make you go, the Republicans are bad? No, it doesn't. Because again, But you're a hack. You're just a partisan hack. And there's no talking logically with you. There's none of that. It's always, you're just, everything is like, I'm going to try to revert it to a partisan gotcha game. I don't give a shit about that game. I care about actual solutions. So, you know, an actual solution for homelessness. And by the way, this has been well documented. This has been studied repeatedly. Um, if you just give homeless people small studio apartment, you know, nothing bare bones, you don't need to go nuts or anything like that, but just give them a roof over their head, you know what happens, right? It saves the taxpayer money. And you literally reduce the homeless population. So you could do that, but again, Laura Ingram doesn't want to actually fix homelessness. She just wants to use this argument as a cheap partisan point to try to play a got you game with Andrew Yang to say, aha, Democrats bad. Spare me, Laura. Spare me. You're not even mildly entertaining or interesting or accurate. It's I yawn. I yawn at your nonsense. Okay, Chris Stewart, here we go. So Representative Chris Stewart launched a weak-ass attack on Medicare for All in a committee hearing. Let's take a look. I want to say that as a Republican, I love talking about this because I think we've got some solutions that will help. But again and again and again, I hear my Democratic colleagues talk about how bad and how the system is failing Americans, which is a dramatic admission on their part, I think, because it's an admission that Obamacare failed, because the current law of the land is Obamacare. And, uh, and I think it's a fair thing to point that out. You know, and essentially what they're saying is, yeah, Obamacare isn't very good, but give us $32 trillion and another chance, and this time we'll fix it, and this time we'll fix it for real. In, the, in my last election, I talked a lot about this. It was an issue we discussed all the time, and I didn't spend much time talking about the $32 trillion price tag or the fact that you have to double taxes for virtually every American and every American business to pay for it. I think there's a more devastating aspect to Medicare for All, and that's the thing I want to focus on today. Quoting from the CBO report, because the public plan would provide a specified set of health care services to everyone eligible, participants would not have a choice of insurer or health benefits. Something like 60%, I think it depends on who you talk to, but it's close, 60% of Americans get their insurance from a private insurance now. They're possessive of that. They should be. They want to protect their choice and their option of providing and buying a private plan. 
Under the single-payer system, what do you mean when you say that, quote, participants would not have a choice of insurer or health benefits? Can you describe that quickly? Sure, I mean that the government, whether it's federal or state, would set the benefits and uh, it would be one set of benefits uh, for all participants. One set, no choice. Is that true? Correct, as we anticipated. You either opt in or you opt in. Those are your choices. Now, he goes on to argue, and I'm not kidding about this, um, Medicare for all is not a fair policy to the average Joe and Jane. Medicare for all would help the wealthy and the elites. What? <laughs> and his convoluted argument is like, well, what would happen is the rich would opt out and they'd get the better care. They'd get the... They'd get the private insurance coverage. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Thirty to 45,000 Americans die every year because they don't have access to basic health care. If you have a Medicare for All system, that number drops down to zero. Please tell me again how this is so, uh, Medicare for All would be so wonderful for the wealthy and so terrible for the regular person. You do know medical, medical bills are one of the top causes of bankruptcy? You know that that would not be the case anymore under a Medicare for All system, right? Listen, they, these guys, they just, he's a propagandist is what he is. Now, he probably also has thoroughly drunk the Kool-Aid, so he believes his own propaganda, but he is a propagandist. And the Republicans are always the id on this issue, and it, it's like it's really ugly when you see what they really believe because it's so counterfactual. It, all of it is wrong. It's really incredible. So let's, let's go through some of this. He says, um, well, I love it when the, the Democrats talk about how bad our health care system is because they're admitting that Obamacare failed. The actual admission is for-profit health insurance companies running the show leads to a disaster. That's the real argument. The argument is, for all these years, we've had for-profit health insurance companies being the heart and soul of the system, and things have gotten worse and worse and worse. Everything's more expensive, and health outcomes are terrible. So many people are uncovered, um, and our system is the worst in the developed world. Quite literally, the Commonwealth Fund study determined that in empirical quantitative analysis, and they were like, oh, you, you guys are the worst by far. So that's the real admission. Now, if you want to make your shitty little cheap partisan point, Obamacare, bad, fine, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Because you know whose plan it originally was, right? The Heritage Foundation, right-wing think tank. You know who supported it, right? Mitt Romney, Chuck Grassley, Newt Gingrich. These are the people who supported this. This was supposed to be the right-wing answer to a single-payer system is, uh, we'll keep the private health insurance companies intact, but we'll, like, force you to buy from them. Okay, yeah, I agree. That's kind of a shitty reform. I mean, it was better than nothing because the few regulations that were implemented on health insurance companies were necessary, like protections from preexisting conditions and a bunch of other things, like staying on your parents' rolls until, until you're 26 years old and uh, mandating a certain percentage of the money going to health insurance companies has to go towards care and not administrative and overhead costs. It used to be like 50-50 some companies would spend like half their money on bullshit. Obamacare said you got to spend at least 80% of your money on actual health care. 
So some regulations were important. But overall, you want to make your cheap partisan point, Obamacare are bad. Okay, fine. I'll give it to you, man. I'll give it to you. But the reality of the situation is the health insurance companies, for-profit health insurance companies, they are the problem, and that's not up in the air. That's not open to interpretation or disagreement. That's just true. Um, then, it, listen, they have, they have no real argument. So what do they do? $32 trillion. Okay, 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 okay. Our current system, that's the 10-year cost, our current system is $5 trillion more expensive. You do understand that, right? Do you understand that? So the cost of health care over the next 10 years, if we do nothing and keep it as is, is $37 trillion. So when you bring up $32 trillion as if that's scary, it's not scary. What you're saying is, I'm going to save you a lot of money. That's what you're really saying. You don't know you're saying it, but that's what you're saying. And by the way, let's be clear that the money that we're paying in premiums, in co-pays, in deductibles, that's a private tax. So it's taxes, we have to pay it, but it's just going to a private corporation. That's a private tax. So our taxes are higher now. If you get Medicare for All in place, our taxes that we pay to the government go up but you totally eliminate a private tax, so you save money. A concept that I know this guy understands, but he's going to lie about it and act like he, don't, he doesn't understand it. Um, and then finally, I love the because this argument is so tired and so stale and so dumb if you think about it for two seconds. But So you're telling me that under a Medicare for All system, people will have no choice of insurer or health benefits. Now notice something. He didn't say doctor, did he? Right, he didn't say doctor. Well, why didn't he say doctor? Because you do have a choice. You have a choice of any doctor you want. In fact, right now, under our current system, I, I don't know about you guys, but I certainly deal with it. I, only, I have in-network you know, hospitals and doctors to go to. And if I want to go see a doctor who's out of network, I can't. I can't I, nothing's covered. If I got, let's say I'm on vacation, I'm in Florida, something happens, I've got to go to a doctor there. Sorry, uncovered, pay for it all out of pocket. Why? It wasn't in the network. We have a fuck about a fucking network. I needed to go to the doctor, so I went, and you should fucking cover it because I'm paying you every goddamn month. Nope, that's not the way it works in America. We have networks. Oh, you can't go to that one because he's not in the network. Oh, sorry, we switched networks on you, so the doctor you've been going to for 10 fucking years is no longer in your network, so piss off. You've got to pay out of pocket if you go to that doctor. If you go to this other one who you don't like, well, they're in network, so then, you know, we cover some of it. Only some of it, of course, because they never cover all of it. See, this is, like... The real thing people like is their doctor. So they want to be able to see their doctor. Nobody cares. Oh, I cannot leave Humana. God forbid I ever leave Humana. God forbid I ever leave Aetna. Or Blue Cross Blue Shield. Oh, no. Nobody thinks like that. Nobody cares. Oh, my God. But even so, the idea that you need choice in insurer or health benefits, can you imagine? Take that mindset and apply it to the fire department. My house is on fire. Okay, the fire department's going to come and put it out. Oh, that's, that's lovely. That's wonderful. Could you imagine anybody going, No! I don't like that fire department. Why don't I have choice in who puts out my fire? The fuck are you talking about, bro? Your house is on fire. Somebody's going to come put it out. I feel like my freedom has been restricted by not being able to pick which fire departments come. And I further feel my freedom has been restricted because I cannot pick the kind of fire insurance I'd like. If I have a propane fire, 
or a gas line fire, I would like coverage for that. But I do not want coverage if I have a fire because of arson or if I have a fire because a piece of wood from the fireplace fell on the carpet and caught on fire. I only want certain kinds of fire that are covered. Thank you very much. Freedom. I call this freedom. That's the equivalent of what they're saying. What do you mean, choice in health benefits? What does that mean? Okay, um, sir, if something happens to my spleen, spleen, I would like that covered. If something happens to my gallbladder, you know, I'm good. I think I got a healthy gallbladder, not covered. Like, what, what the fuck are you saying? Choice in health benefits. What kind of fucking dumb shit? What do you say? What does that mean? If I get cancer, cover that. If I get heart disease, don't cover it. The fuck? Well, if you, if you take heart disease off of the list of stuff that's covered, well, then you won't have to pay as much per month. Yeah, very healthy system we have here. This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. But they're so brainwashed into this fucking cult that they're like, um, yeah, just... The, the Democrats want to take away your choice of insurer or health benefits. Did you? Why don't you finish the sentence? You want to know why? Because everything is covered, full stop. Fucking dipshit. Everything is covered. Every, that's why. That's why. It's like, it's like you, walk into, you walk into an ice cream shop, okay, and you got 47 flavors to pick from. Um, and, and somebody co- walks in and they go, are you taking away my freedom to pick which one I want? No, you can have whatever you want. I feel like you're taking away my freedom to pick whichever one I want. No, they're all covered. Whatever you want, whatever you want, have it, go ahead, pick. But this is the argument. The argument is you're somehow taking away their freedom. No. Our argument is everything is covered. That's the end of the conversation. Not, uh, you know, before you even go into the ice cream shop, definitely chocolate and vanilla are off the table. They're off the table. That You want the, the freedom to say, hide the chocolate and vanilla before I walk into the ice cream store and don't even give me that option. Is that freedom? No. We're saying everything is covered. That's the end of the conversation. And by the way, it's also not even true because – Supplemental private care means if you really want, you can go get private health insurance. You're not going to want it because everything's going to be covered and it's going to be great. But if you want it, fine. We're not banning for-profit health insurance. And by the way, they pretend like they do. They go on and say, oh, they want to ban it. It's totally made up. Listen, these guys are dishonest actors and they're idiots. And they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And Democrats, if they care about this stuff and if they know what they're talking about, they could destroy these guys. one more, then we'll call it a day. So here's an interesting story. Um, Are Americans over Russiagate? Well, we have a new poll on this. A majority of Americans believe that congressional Democrats should drop their investigation 
excuse me, into Russian election meddling in 2016 and move on to other matters, according to a CBS News poll released on Wednesday. About 53% of Americans say Congress should stop its Russia investigations, while 44% say the probe should continue. Similarly, 58% of Americans say they've heard enough about Special Counsel Robert Mueller's conclusions, while 37% want to hear more. Among those surveyed, Democrats are leading the charge for Congress to continue its inquiries, with 73% saying they want the investigations to continue, an uptick from 66% in March. About 44% of independents say the same, up from 35% two months ago. I think that independence number is pretty important. The poll comes as the White House and House Democrats are in a legal battle over a slew of oversight investigations, with the administration fighting several subpoenas for testimony and documents. While the investigations continue, however, the public overwhelmingly believes that the White House should cooperate. About 77% of Americans say the administration should cooperate with the probes, including 54% of Republicans, 77% of independents, and 95% of Democrats. Approximately 74% of Americans would also like for Mueller to testify before Congress about his findings. The poll also shows uh, the public split over its interpretation of his findings. About 31% say the special counsel cleared President Trump, while 33% say it did not. And 32% believe it's too soon to say. So basically, I love how it changed nothing. Like, it changed nothing in terms of the interpretation of people. Like, whatever you were thinking about the Mueller report going into it, that's what you took away from it with the findings. There was just enough there for everybody with every school of thought where they were like, oh, yeah, I'm vindicated. No, I'm vindicated. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. Now, it is also interesting that the majority of the American people are like, okay, we're done with the Russia thing. Let's go, let's go, let's go. However, I do actually think even the phrasing of this was a little misleading because, so if you ask me, hey, should we be talking about Russian interference and stuff? I would say no. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that we should do paper ballots and we should increase cybersecurity for the DNC and the RNC so that it takes away any even potential argument of, oh, my God, something happened. Well, no, we have the cybersecurity and we have paper ballots, so there's no, there's no question about anything at all. So I think we should address it in a substantive way, but do I think it's necessary to you know, talk about it nonstop and to do a thousand more investigations? No. But having said that, I feel like they may have lumped in some legitimate investigations into the Russia thing. So in other words, all the investigations into Trump's businesses, into emoluments, um, into his, his taxes, that's the other thing that they're trying to get. They're trying to get his taxes. All those things are totally legitimate. Like they should get his taxes. They should look into his businesses. They should look into the emolument situation. And I think that's quite separate and distinct from the whole Russia, the Russia angle of this. So if you ask me, the actual Russia, Russia, Russia stuff, got to get past it, that's done, that's over. But the other financial stuff is totally legitimate. Um, and if you go down that road, then yeah, you're, I think you're going to uncover legitimate corruption, probably some money laundering and a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, I mean, nothing's changed. That's what I take away from this poll. Nothing's changed. Slight majority say move fast the Mueller thing, but then also over 70% say Mueller should testify, which kind of contradicts that because it means, no, don't get totally past the Mueller thing. He should testify. By the way, I also think he should testify, just to be clear. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, we're pretty much right back to where we were before, but <laughs> hopefully the focus of the election that's upcoming will be more about the substance because as important as I think the investigations are into genuine corruption and 
financial misdeeds. I think it is more important to the actual substantive issues that impact the American people. Okay. We are done, baby. All right, guys. I love you. We'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day. Hopefully you have off and you're resting. I'm out, bitch. Peace.